0: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Dw group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
1: Hi, I'm Elisa Gardner, host of Develop Your Character, brought to you by Camp Broadway. We bring you candid conversations with theater educators, industry experts, and insiders, and savvy parents geared toward helping culture-loving kids and aspiring artists become great performers on and off stage at every stage of their lives. Our guest today is Melissa Errico, who established herself as a musical leading lady on Broadway in her early 20s and has since enjoyed success as a recording artist, an actress in plays and films and on television, a cabaret performer, and even an essayist for the New York Times. Melissa made her professional debut at age 18, playing Cosette in the first national tour of Les Miserables, and not long after that earned her first Broadway role in a musical adaptation of Anna Karenina. Shortly after that, she was cast as none other than Eliza Doolittle in A Revival of My Fair Lady. More starring roles followed quickly in High Society. Your poor audience, they're so bored. <laughs> just, I'm old. This is going to go on a long. time. No, no, time. no. I'm just uh, well. I'll wrap up. More no, no, starring no. roles followed in High Society. A more Dracula the musical, Irving Berlin's White Christmas. Just trying to get all of oh, your accomplishments so out there. Uh, she has starred, and this is, the and then span. there's the crazy
2: parent thing that I also qualify for. You because she's a, you have the actress, you have the you have the
1: parents. Absolutely. I'm, you know, yeah. I just want to mention you are known for your interpretations of. Stephen Sondheim, which include a number of productions, um, and uh, as well as your album, Sondheim Sublime, which the Wall Street Journal called the best all Sondheim album ever recorded. I only listen to your reviews, I don't know. (laughs) Ah, the Wall Street (laughs) Journal, who are they, right? Uh, And she's received praise for her interpretations of the Oscar-winning composer and jazz artist Michelle Legrand's work. A deluxe edition, in fact, of her album, Legrand Affair, was just released last year and her credits range from off-Broadway stages of Shaw, Oscar Wilde, and Wallace Shawn to TV and film roles that have cast her alongside Kate Mulgrew, Dennis Quaid, and Angelica Jolie to drop just a few names. She served on the board of the National Endowment for the Arts and written for a number of publications. And uh, just so you know, she'll be appearing at an event honoring Michelle Legrand March 12th at Lincoln Center Performing Arts Library and offering another Legrand engagement at Feinstein's 54 Below, May 28th through 30th. And of course, as she previously referenced, Michelle is a mom. She, Melissa is a mom. (laughs) Michelle Legrand is a French guy that (laughs) Melissa likes to say. Melissa is a mom. She and her husband, the tennis player and sports commentator Patrick McEnroe, have three accomplished young daughters, who we're going to get to very shortly. Melissa, thank you for taking time out of your obviously very busy schedule to come and join but us used today. Used to be busy. No, no, no. I'm, <laughs> no, I'm okay. just—I'm getting dizzy just reading. And a lot of this stuff. I should mention this is all in the span of, you know, not not too long. And um, we want to talk to you a little bit about the spark to get things started. Uh, We asked guests about what initially got them interested in Mm. theater. I'm gonna take a wild guess, given your glorious voice, and say that it was perhaps that you realized early on you had this gift, although you also danced and did gymnastics. Is is that
2: right? Yeah, I don't know that I ever uh, had like a, today's the day I think I have a gift. I I think I was always, I, You're right. I was a hyper kid, and I did gymnastics. I uh, loved roller skating. You remember the white roller skates with the four wheels of course. on each shoe? So I looked a bit like Sheena Easton in like shorts and you know striped <laughs> knee socks and these skates in Long Island. You know, kind of doing da da I da da totally down get the street, that right? Okay. <laughs> and then I had the Dorothy Hamill haircut at one point. I mean, just I always had fun. You know, my mother was fun, and. um, my father was, they're both Italian. Uh, so I came from a house where kind of, ex, uh, you know, as long as you were a good student, we, which was always the foundation. Like, if you don't have straight A's, like, we're not having a good t- We're not going to have a good day. You know, just we had to, you had to do your homework. But then after that, less, my dad used to say he would only spend money on books and lessons. So that was the, the first spark was really just what the values are of the house. You have to have it. You have to take care of your education. There's absolutely no slacking off in that. And then keep you know, my parents seemed to have the idea of just expose us to everything fun, whether it was you know roller skates, music, gymnastics, a gymnastics class, uh, all the dance schools. So I was always. Um, experimenting with, uh, with movement and, you know, in soccer and, uh, you know, took track and field. I was just lucky in that way that I got exposed to a lot of things. Um, but there was something like a spark, like what you say, uh, when I was having my, uh, I think I was turning 12. It was my, it was a birthday. It's funny that I think I was 13 because I think it was 1983, but, um, Anyway, I was I was twelve or thirteen, and I went to see On Your Toes. Someone will know out there. Maybe it was. Sure. Maybe it was a different year, but um, uh, with Christine Andreas. With Christine Andreas, oh, and one I of my saw. Early heroes. Yeah, she's my hero, and I saw that show, and I, I had never seen anything like it, and I really sat in the chair just like any other person having a eureka moment. that You just wish for your own kid. I just looked at that that stage and I was crying I was crying and crying and my mother said "What, Melissa are you okay I said who are these people how did they get there I remember saying those sentences I couldn't even look it was so beautiful to me I think what I loved about it was the jazz I think I liked that style of singing it sounded easy and natural it sw- there was swing in it and you know I've thought a lot about it. I think Rogers I love the, the music but I think I like the words and the ironies and the blues side of Lawrence Hart Writing, Mm. I never responded to Rodgers and Hammerstein. It was Rodgers and Hart. It was a big difference, you know. A very big, very big difference. Yeah, Yeah.
1: that's part of uh, rather Rodgers' brilliance that he worked so well with these completely different Mm -hmm, lyricists. mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, I think Lawrence Hart was short, gay, and very
1: troubled. Very troubled.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I may have sensed something in the blues. You know, a song like "Glad to Be Unhappy." I was singing that since I was twelve. I was in sixth grade. I would just sit in my room, you know, just singing "Glad to Be Unhappy." You know, fools rush in, but here sure. I am,
1: very glad to be unhappy.
2: And you didn't know— I wasn't like unhappy. I just loved
1: <laughs> that kind of uh, blues, you know.
2: So you, you didn't
1: know prior to then that you had this beautiful soprano voice?
2: No, I did not. I, I wasn't a singer. I was a dancer, and I was a— I was busy roller skating, like looking like Sheena Easton or something, or, or you know Dorothy Hamill. I, I no, I was a, I was a mover. I actually liked to move and dance. And I remember after I saw that play, I did uh, audition for a school musical. I had been in musicals before, but I was always in the back. I was always a dancer, and my mother used to say. One time we were we were told to be like Rockettes and kick equal, and my mother right before the show I was in about fourth grade. This was at my other school before I moved schools in middle school. My mother said to me, "Kick the highest." (laughs) And so there's a picture of all the kids with their feet, their legs, you know, at the right height, and then my leg right up by my nose (laughs) with this big smile. So she gave me terrible advice. So, no, I was in the background screwing things up for the, you know, for the choreographer. Um, I went to middle school, and I was very lucky to audition for, what was it called, Bye Bye Birdie, and I got the role of Kim. And the, the, the rumor about my voice was my mother said that I was singing, and all the parents started looking around the room. Like, did you hear that? You know, I don't remember it. I just remember it wasn't hard. So it actually got harder later, you know, well, maybe we'll talk about like how you get good at something. Hmm. But that there were things that came naturally to me. So in that way, I was very lucky. But I actually had to learn to rebuild and understand what used to come lucky uh, easily to me. And I was lucky to to have it easy. I have relearned um, what used to be so, so, so simple. But so I was, I was very much a natural singer, I guess, you know, then. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Which isn't to say that I I take it for granted or don't get it now, but then it did come flowing and I just went from show to show to show. By 18, I was playing Cosette. it was this little voice was, you know, it was just what I would speak and sing at the same time. you know, and because I was a dancer, maybe I was just breathing and open my body. I was able to, you know, jump onto stages and just be like, hi, you know, I wasn't shy physically.
1: Yeah. And in fact, you were auditioning pretty early on, a little surreptitiously, can we say? Yeah.
2: (laughs) By, yeah, by even, I mean, definitely by high school, I stopped even doing school plays. I started coming into New York for dance classes. And then I would, I figured out there was a, this is before there was, never mind cell phones. There was an I don't know, there was no information anywhere. There was backstage newspaper. But you go to the newsstand and you right. buy, and it had all these little squares in the back, which is all the auditions going around town. And I used to come into New York on the train. I was allowed. I was 13 or 14. I never would let my kids do this now.
1: Uh-huh. I just
2: came in from Long Island, and I went into to, uh, to Steps to take class. Of course, yeah. And I would then look at this, you know, and if I would skip a class because you were taking, you know, you're paying. By, by the hour right you didn't even sign up they didn't know you're in the, it was new york city nobody knew if you're in a class so i would skip it and i would go to some audition you know from backstage uh newspaper. So I went and auditioned for all kinds of weird stuff, odd commercials, flamenco dance company down on the Lower East Side. I was doing all kind, I, I, My idea of rebellion was like auditions, uh-huh. you know, where other kids are like telling stories about like throwing up or something in their backseat of <laughs> someone's car. I was not doing that. I was you know, like sneaking around. Not like, that we're recommending this for, things. For, uh,
1: for kids necessarily. No, you must never
2: do. I don't, I don't understand. I hope I my kids won't even consider that people say, "Oh, you're heading into preteens, or you're heading into teenagers, get ready." And I think I don't know i am not i don't I'm not gonna say that I'm, I'm not watching or something, but i I never was um I was already interested in the adventure of the arts, you know, and so I wanted to see what was out there and my
1: I didn't tell my parents for the, what I was doing all the time for audition you know exploring New York City, you know. But they gave you that foundation, as you just mentioned, of of you know loving learning. They of, did, and and, and um, of I think uh, we were talking a little bit before this recording about um, accomplishment or achievement. I, uh, why don't you tell us a bit, because you have a couple of uh, three, in fact, very accomplished daughters. Uh, one is uh, seems to have uh, inherited her dad's gift for for tennis, and the mm-hmm. other two are dancers. And you encourage them. Tell us, tell us a bit I about totally how you do encourage that. them. Yeah. Um,
2: l- like I said, if books and lessons was my father's big indulgence, you know, he would always give us lessons. But we never, uh, you know, miss our classes. You know, actually, I mean, I'm making it sound like I was missing classes at steps and being frivolous in that way. I just did that sometimes. It's not like I did that all the time. Well, you wound um, up at
1: Yale, so obviously,
2: I, I did. <laughs> you and did, and I did have, well. I did. I did end up. I was a good student. I, I ended up at Yale. But I have some thoughts about. Um, you know, I went. I went to the Yale Drama School, and I dropped out of the Yale Drama School uh, because at that point I had already done um, Les Mis. I had dropped out of college to do Les Mis, and I went back and did college. Um, so I, I am glad I finished college. But I then enrolled in the Yale Drama School, and I got cast in My Fair Lady, and I did drop out of. Of of graduate school and I do still wonder if sometimes people like me who were doing so many things and were rushing around a bit maybe I should have stayed in school maybe I should have finished my um, uh, you know finished a thought you know if I had a three year program just stay and do the studying Um, uh, one thing that that Pat and I are are often talking about my husband and I talking about with the girls is the difference between achievement and accomplishment accomplishment is is kind of the satisfaction you get in learning things and um and the process and the effort that you put into things and i think the accomplishment the achievements you know the awards the good parts the the big highs i'm not sure if if, um we should focus so much on that Um, Patrick, as a tennis coach, which he often is, he says, you know, I was thinking I should get kids out there and they should have fun. Get the kids to follow their passion. And just have fun. Just get them out there having fun. And the more he's been getting kids good, he said, I don't really think it matters if they're having fun. It matters if they're learning. And they really want to get, their sk- they, they want to get skills. And when kids get serious and focus on the mastery of something, that sense of accomplishment, not achieving things, not getting the ribbon and the big... But just that the accomplishment of learning, they are happier, and they leave the court happy. And I, I, I think focusing on uh, on the the acquiring of skills, you know. Is, is something that we're, you know, we, we really focus on as a standard in, the ha- in, in our house. And, and so the girls just don't feel like they have to be famous or fabulous or get something. They just have you learn, what do you learn today? You know, oh, that's really cool. You're really improving. you really mm-hmm. worked hard. I see how hard you worked, you know. And it's really showing, you know. And then, then they feel good. It's not so much they become... Uh, that they get this part, you know, at the end of the year, or that they are superstars at a certain point. So I'm not saying in my case like I was jumping. I was jumping steps, but um, I had some breaks young, and I may have, I may have, I may have taken some of that um, that time away from myself to just acquire skills, you mm-hmm. know, and acquire skills out of the limelight, you know. Yeah. So those are just that's not a regret as much as a, a reconsideration of of, of of you know my own um, my own path. And I think if you're, if you have listeners out there who have kids or are educators, you know, if you have a kid who's sort of thinking about going professional or, or seems to be kind of, you know, on a roll, you know, take a deep breath because it might be good to not rush that kid, even if they're very gifted, Hmm. um, very inspired, or even being given a great opportunity. Um, you might, there might be some building blocks that also give that kid a greater foundation for the next, for, for, or later I don't really think we do live in a world where there's only one shot right yeah and we're pushing kids you know with this cocoa golf you know like you know being a great tennis player so so young now everybody's calling my house how can I get my kid to be a great tennis player you know similarly with ballet everybody's pushing their kids they're doing ballet intensives all summer they're doing camp the french woods and just all these achievements you know are being marked so young. I yeah. think I think so I I think that's what I'm saying is yeah. that is that pushing for achievements and not the the satisfaction and the accomplishment of learning can maybe catch up to you a little bit you know, and may not make the foundation, may not give you the right foundation, both for success and for personal happiness, Yeah. you know, so I think these are some
1: ideas. That's a really interesting distinction uh, between those words, which are used interchangeably, but sometimes, but the way you describe it, and and when I think about it now, you know, accomplishment and accomplished person is not necessarily somebody who has ribbons to hang on the wall or trophies, Um, and it is... But they have that inside feeling, that that inside sense of knowledge, you know,
2: and we're always like, you know, just make sure you follow your you're blessed and make sure you're happy and do yeah. what makes you happy. Well, the truth is that that's not necessarily going to work. Yeah. You know, this whole role, the role of passion in this whole of the, of the, the whole pursuit of a cultural life or an actress's life or in a performer's life or writer's life, you know, it's great passion, whatever. But what do you actually have to learn? Like, look what you've accomplished. You have, what did you actually have to learn to learn to write the way you've been writing since forever? There was a lot of f- nuts
1: and bolts. I'm still learning. You're still I mean, learning. I'm still yeah. looking at people who are much better writers than I am every day. <laughs> oh, I
0: don't know. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.
1: A laundry? Ooh, a book club.
2: Computer solitaire, huh?
0: Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?
1: Lucky? Um, but yeah. um, and and you've also juggled so much in in uh, in your career, so many different uh, aspects: uh, theater, film, TV, writing yourself, uh, cabaret, of course. Um, I always had a lot of interests. That, yeah, that I did. I don't know if that's a good
2: thing or. You know, my own mother is a sculptor and she's always had like four styles and people have been like, Angela, you just got to choose if it's wood or if it's going to be metal or you're going to be working and she works in wax. She's worked with um, all different um, materials as a sculptor. And plenty of times people said, just focus on the on the metals and then you'll just be you know doing ironwork and you just you, that's what you do. Yeah. And my mother's like no I like sometimes I'm off in clay and, you know she's doing clay for a whole period you know. So maybe the eclecticism comes from from a creative mother like that
1: too but yeah. so well I know uh, I did want to mention a panel you're going to be on at Broadway Con even though it will have already happened mm-hmm, uh, by mm-hmm. the time this this recording uh, this podcast airs. Uh, you say airs <laughs>
2: for a podcast? I think so. I yeah, think I so. Know. I think you're right.
1: Um it's called making records. Yes. Is that actually recording? Is it about the recording process? Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh.
2: I mean, there's there's a there are, I don't think I'm unique in term in terms of a a lot a Broadway musical theater performer's life is on Broadway not that often. You are mm-hmm. you know, you're on Broadway and then you're off. You're out of work so called from that aspect of your dream and that thing that's probably the, the uh, gold standard of every uh, musical theater actor's dream is to be on Broadway but there's so much time in between mm-hmm. um, in my case it's been you know many years I've got children I haven't been on Broadway since the twins were born um, I've been off-Broadway. So you have the, off, the world of off-Broadway, and then you have the world of television and film, hopefully. Hollywood you,
1: Bowl, you've started in major productions yeah, there. Yeah, no, there's regional yeah. theater and yeah. regional
2: appearances like that. You, there's so much that you can do. But... You, sometimes if you break down your skills, plenty of times the television and film world will call and give you a good part in a, maybe even a series regular. I did a series regular on CBS at one point, but I've been recurring on different television shows. So that's your acting, but you're not singing. You find yourself in a trailer with a lot of um, different um, straight actors. You know, people are playing the policemen or things like that. They don't know any... They're like, they look at you like, you've been in a musical? You know? Yeah. Like, there are these tough people who just go from police part to police role, you know, and then you're... Ch- <laughs> so... So, you're, so you, you kind of break down your skills. You're like, but I'm an actor, and even if you're singing, you're still acting. So, I d- I've done that. But one thing I've found that's consistent um, a source of creativity when there's um, nobody hiring you at that moment is making music, making records. You can actually make an album or a cabaret act anytime you see I have a month or I anticipate a quiet month, or I see this time of year, the holidays, someone's asked me to do a holiday show. Oh, that's a creative thing. I can do myself, you know? So it's self-initiated work. So that's what, um, uh, you know, I want to share at the Broadway con when they asked me to do that, I thought that's, that's great because I've made many albums along the way and they're, they're, um, they're their little, statements. Um, it's, if, if, they're like the musical theater performer or musical person's, you know, uh, small novel or something. It's like, yeah. those are like little novels. A whole period of your life, you know, might be encapsulated in one album, which mine always, these albums I've made are always a, 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 a chapter of my life. So, And I think they're great for um, singers to get to do because you get to put together your songs, make demos, bring together musicians. You're not at anybody's beck and call. You know, it's not that expensive to make an album. A lot of people can make them in their basements, you know. Um, so it's just one of those things, I think, is in, another, now that there's so much tech, and we live in such a, a good and, you know, rich tech world where so much can be done. You can design things yourself, you know. Um, so that's what I'm going to talk with people about, is it's just another way to be creative. I think the, the one of the important things about being a performing artist is to not let the fallow periods eat you, you know, and make you feel really rotten. I know a lot of people have to work as waiters, have to do other jobs, but this is the perfect – making records is something you can do, you know, around everything, you know, and feel proud of it, you know.
1: Well, speaking of being creative and using tech and doing it yourself, DIY, um, you wrote a really interesting piece for The Times several months ago, very well researched and reported about how the auditioning process has, has changed and evolved. And you spoke to performers and casting directors. Um, tell us a bit about how these practices have changed just you know, in, in the time we have during your years as a performer. I'm sure you have many stories. See, the, but, yeah, the hard yeah. thing about,
2: about auditions is that it's a relationship. It's a relationship that's now been kind of outsourced just to half of the relationship, the actor. So the actor is now doing the audition with oneself, you know it's different than making an album which you can use tech to express yourself and capture your voice your ideas your vision you know and, and design it and write you know your own liner notes or get someone you know you can make a team and so on it's a little different to use tech for an audition so I'm a little bit less gung-ho about the idea though it is very much the reality there's n- there's no time anymore for casting agents to, to reach out to as many actors as they can they want to they know they can ask 200 people to send in tapes they might as well it takes them you know the equal amount of time to see maybe 20 people 35 people and they can now get 200 auditions sent to them in the mail they don't have to rent a room have an assistant do anything you know so the way auditions are are run um is just a has changed so much because the, I can't come into the room and meet, you know, you and I right now, though the audience can't see it, we're looking at each other. We're doing this podcast. What if we were doing this podcast? You know, I don't know, but what if you sent me the questions and then I just sent you the answers (laughs) and then someone put it together to sound like a conversation? It'd be phony, you know? So it's a little bit like that with auditions that you can't read the face of the person who wants you to interpret their dream. They want to make this television show. They want to make this musical. Um, What can you bring to it? And then you might do something and they say, you know what, can you start again? and try?" Think of me as someone you really want to impress. Oh, okay. And then you straighten up and you think, okay, I'm going to put on a little nicer face and I'm trying to impress this person. The director has a second to to respond to you and you to them and they see that can't happen with a self-tape. There's just no shot. You know, you do your best and put your, you know. So the the article I wrote in the New York Times, I went out and I met um, at least 40 actors, but I met about five different casting directors, producers, people of all kinds, um, in, in, and asked them what they thought about auditions and how they changed, you know. Some people thought it was really liberating because they don't have to deal with the, anybody and they don't get nervous and they have nobody interfering with their skills because mm-hmm. they get tense. Other people said, I can't, I can't, I can't. If I can't see your face, I can't read what you need. And I, I, my, my art doesn't come out. My feelings don't come out. Um, some directors feel they'd rather not have to sweet talk an actor and make them comfortable. It's such a huge waste of time uh, to some people. Mm-hmm. It's heartbreaking. It was. I heard a lot of hard talk, you know, and I thought, okay. Uh, the business is more like, um, one of the things I said was that I felt like I was an like a, like an app, you know, like serving anonymous users, you know, just kind of putting myself out there. So um, so sometimes it, it, it was a little disheartening, but also I guess, you know, we're all in the time we're in, so we have to try to see self-taping as, as a, um, something we're taking control of, you know, yeah. putting our best foot forward.
1: Well, we always ask our guests about lessons they've learned. Yeah, you've already addressed some of those as an essayist, um, but maybe elaborate on one or two key things that, um, along the way in your years of multitasking? (laughs) Um, things that I've learned
2: along the way. Well, um, God, there's so many, it's hard to know. I think, um, I remember I went up to Marion Seldes, who was a great actress and I was 12 and my mother saw her in a restaurant and said, go up to her and ask her, um, what her advice would be, uh, for you to become an actress. And I was so young, and I met, I'm, this was at a time where I was super inspired, so I did do what she said. And I said, hello, Ms. Seldes, um, my parents are over there, and uh, they, I, I just wanted to tell you I'd love to be an actress myself, and what would, what do you think I should do? And she said, live. That was all she said. And I got to know her over the years, and I reminded her of that strange and funny exchange. And I think um, that is something I've learned, is that our life, our actual life is is as as important as the art, and it's all it's all um, it's all in it's all inter it all interreacts all the time. So I'm very glad that I had a family and I'm glad that I've had a life. you know, a lot of people go into the arts and then get very isolated because they stay so focused and the arts become their reference. And the truth is we have to stay out of the arts to go back into the arts with that information so that's something that just not so much I I had done something wrong and had to learn it but it's just something that over time has become very clear to me that we bring the information of our lives to our art that the
1: it's not it's not your whole life this it's not your home you have a home you know Yeah. I was going to ask if motherhood had informed your work, but you just answered that question. Oh, it has. I love
2: my girls. I I do. And I feel like I can't even explain how much I admire them. They're the, it's like you made the people you love to know in the world. You know, in my case, i love to spend time with them and they're very inspiring and funny, um, and happy. Um, my my brother and I were like family number one, and my, my mom had my sister when I was 12, same father. But my brother and I, um, he knows you. You know him as a yeah, singer-songwriter. Yeah, great singer-songwriter. Yeah, he's a great singer-songwriter. Um, we, we were kind of brought up in, in, a, in a sort of intense way. And it's, you know, I look at my own kids, and I, I realize my brother and I just weren't, like, we didn't hang out together. And I don't know why we were like I maybe mean, because he was a boy or something. And I don't we just didn't hang out. We we're friends. We've always been close. But my girl, my my daughters are so tight. It's like a it's like a clan. It's crazy. So I love to see the complicity between them and the laughing and they're wild. They 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 they, hit, they don't hit each other, but they like they <laughs> bump into each other or they make jokes or they they touch each other's hair. All this like they're they're hilarious and close, close, close. So. It's very inspiring to see that kind of, you know, physical, loving closeness, you know, that, yeah. that I was able to nurture. So that really gives me, that jazzes me. It makes me feel good about going out and making connections with other people, you know, seeing their health and their happiness, you know. And I think there was a sort of a separateness between me and my siblings, though we're very close and really a good family. We never had like fun like that. My parents didn't push us together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the kind of wildness of my house, the closeness, they're like crazy little fairies. It's very inspiring for me. It makes, and they made, they brought me a lot of joy that I, you know, I might not have had
1: without them. That's that's wonderful. Well, I'll close with, um, since the title and mission of this podcast is develop your character, um, as a final question, what does character mean to you? Hmm.
2: I wish you'd told me that before. Um. (laughs) No, that's a big question what does character it's funny that's the that's the word that I thought of when I was um, getting married to my husband I remember it's funny people I, I don't I know that's not the question you've asked but I remember saying he has such good character there was something about it. and what would that um, it's like um, uh, awareness of, of everything around you you know for me He's aware. I think I have pretty good character. I think my daughters do too. I think they're fun and stuff, but they're certainly never going to step on anyone else. They're very conscious of what other people are going through. So um, even if you're, you know, at the grocery store and you're checking out, just be super aware of that person, you know, and what they're going through, the person behind you, the person in front of you. When you get in your car who's jumping into their car why is people why are people tense you know just have good character which is to respect what's going on around you and be conscious of it and try to if you're strong and you're sane use it for good you know yeah. use it for good i think my husband was always like that very conscious but he never was selfish and like just he didn't have his blinders on like i'm just going to win this tennis match i'm just going to become a tennis player we neither of us were ever like that we we always had our eyes you know, looking all around, that may not have made me the most tunnel vision person in all senses, but I think that's a per- I think I have good character. May not have you know the biggest uh, you know shelf full of awards, but <laughs> I, I think, uh, you know, and well, uh, I married a man of good character, and then the well. children have good character, and you you know, I I, I have good <laughs> friends, you know, and uh-huh. I think and my I, well, I have thought a little bit about the very end of my life. I think I will be most proud of my, um, well, my family, but my uh, women friendships. I have always oh. loved other women and love to see them succeed and be strong. You know, never felt threatened by somebody being, you know, I actually have a lot of different looking friends, but I have a lot of beautiful friends, you know, friends as well. I love seeing them look amazing. I'm not like nasty or whatever, you know, I just yeah. love to see people shine,
1: you know. Oh, that's beautifully I good. do. I love yeah. beauty, you know. I love seeing not well, physical you, you beauty, have but I love in like many pizzazz, respects. you know. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Well, that's that's a lovely answer. Thanks again, Melissa. And, and thanks to all of you who've tuned into this episode of develop your character. We are always looking for listeners input. So if you have a question or an observation about Melissa, something we've discussed with Melissa or anything, <laughs> else anything either, I need to fix. Let yeah, me exactly, know. <laughs> exactly. We have a direct line here. Uh, you can reach us on social media or visit our website. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, you can leave a review on iTunes or share with your friends on social media. And finally, for more information on Camp Broadway, Broadway's original destination for theater-loving kids, check out our site at campbroadway.com.